Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. We're talking uh, impeachment today. And a lot of you apparently have a lot of things you want to say. Uh, Let's start with Luke in St. Albans, Vermont. Hey, Luke, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I like the show. Thank you. I agree with a lot of the politics of people who are opposing it, but I just don't think, you know, we understand the history of humanity well enough. I mean, we haven't, this isn't new. We've seen how this stuff works out. We know the danger of precedent. I personally would have been a big fan of impeaching George W. Bush, for instance, for torture. Or for lying us into a war. Exactly. He's arguably the third president to lie us into a war. You had the Spanish-American War where McKinley, you know, got his war with his little conspiracy with the yellow newspaper guy. Yeah, who sent a note to Frederick Remington saying, get me the pictures, I'll give you the war. And and then, you know, you had uh, Lyndon Johnson line us into the war in, in Vietnam, and then you had Bush and Cheney line us into the war in Iraq. You would think eventually we'd say enough is enough. And yeah, I'm with you, Luke. Right, but we don't. And the danger of precedent is just, I don't think people understand how crippling it is. I can, yes. I look back at Roman history with Pompey the Great. Now, Rome, the Roman Republic was, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it lasted for centuries. Mm -hmm. And then during these civil wars, here comes some guy who's too young to have an army. They had rules about who could actually have an army, who could be a general. And here comes this guy named Pompey who has an army. And there's this guy named Sulla who's fighting a civil war. He says, well, I need an army, so we're going to break the rules. And it just sort of follows this. And then, you know, decades later, you get Augustus Mm -hmm. who says, well, Pompey did it. Right, and that was the end of the Republic. Exactly, and and, and never, nothing like it ever came back. And again, the Republic, I can't say the Republic was this great thing of freedom. It was a clear oligarchy Mm. or whatever. But still, it was a a complete upheaval of the system. It was a dissolving of the myths that keep a society together. Like Rome had this myth called no kings. Right, Uh, well, it's not even a myth. It's it's really a standard uh, uh, consensus about appropriate behavior in political office. Right. And when we break this precedent, when we go against how we look at ourselves, like, for instance, this idea of foreign interference in our elections, our elections are sacrosanct. Now, perhaps they've been molested. Perhaps there's been cheating in the past. But the idea within our zeitgeist is they are sacred. And if we let someone get away with openly, openly, interfering with the democratic process two elections in a row no less right right and we've thrown the sacred away i mean you could argue the russian i'm not even you we have proof here we don't even have to deal with speculation or whatever we have a guy who's admitted it there's black and white evidence he's admitted it with regard to russia he stood on television i believe it was during one of the debates and he said you know russia if you can find hillary's emails i know that you'll be rewarded and literally of the record the Mueller uncovered was that four hours later russia was penetrating the server of the dnc Right, right. And then sanctions haven't been enforced and whatnot. No, I mean, but yes, I'm just saying, if you just want to look at black and white, if you don't want to deal with any other conspiracies, if you don't want to look at any other evidence, he admitted it. Everyone around him has admitted it. And this destroys the American, again, I want to say myth, but I don't know if that's the right word. But the American myth that our democracy and our voting is sacred. Right. And I don't know where you go from there. It's sort of like Mitch McConnell refusing to even hear about Merrill Garland or, you know, the, the nominee. Yeah. I don't know what you do from there. 
Yeah, uh, well, I, I think Mitch know. McConnell should have been impeached for that, but it's, it's oh, you know, agree. nobody I wants mean, to I take agree. him on. He's got so much power. But, uh, okay, Luke, your point is well made. Thank you very much for the call. Spencer in Omaha, Nebraska, it says here you support Trump. What does that mean? I actually sort of a Democrat, to keep it clear. I'm a liberal. However, I, I don't think it's time to impeach him. I think it's a good thing. He's a megalomaniac. It's a good thing to watch him and kind of be vigilant. But uh, there's a lot of history to learn from. I mean, Rome, for instance, was created in, I think it was 753 B.C., and uh, it lasted a while. We need to kind of learn from our history. I'm just... Uh, just kind of wanted to say that. I don't understand, Spencer. Why do you think that a president reaching out to a foreign power and saying, please help me get some dirt well, on I, my political opponent that. is an okay thing? I didn't say that. Well, if you think that Trump should not be impeached, then the obvious corollary to that is that that kind of behavior is acceptable because there's no other way to stop him from doing it again. I mean, he's done it twice. Well, I, I can Three times you now. He's that. reached out to China as well. Three times he's, he's done this. And he's set a new standard, I, I, as, the, I, I as the last caller was saying, for politicians in the United States. And I think that that's, that's something that we need to stand up and say, no, I mean, this is, this is like an infection in our body politic. And, and we're either going to be, be consumed by that infection and ultimately have our democracy destroyed, our republic destroyed, or we're going well, to fight actually, back against actually, that I, infection and we're going to purge ourselves of it. I agree with you. What I was trying to say was I agree with the three fundamental factors of democracy, which is economic opportunity, racial equality, and social justice. I mean, egalitarianism itself, if you go into that, it's like... What does any of that have to do with impeachment? Uh, every different person... I haven't heard an argument from you, Spencer, yet as to why Trump should not be impeached. Just a, just a statement actually, that he should Actually, there's a reason. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry waiting. to interrupt you, sir. No, no, it's okay. I'm okay. waiting. I just worry about anarchy. We have to have like a government fundamental basis underneath us. But this but, is some. Uh, this is this is a provision that's built into the Constitution. It says, you know, when when a president has committed any of these kinds of crimes, he shall be impeached. But he's innocent until proven guilty. We no, that's not true. More, this is not the, more. Yeah. Okay. He's innocent until proven guilty. It's the job of the Senate to determine that guilt or innocence. They shall act as a jury, essentially, and a court. And in fact, during the impeachment proceedings against Bill Clinton, Chief Justice Rehnquist said explicitly yes. that the somebody stood up and said, the Senate, this, this Senate is a jury. And Rehnquist said, no, it's not. It's a court. And it, that is serving also the, the function of a jury. So everything yeah. is going to be contained in the Senate. And all that they're doing in the House is presenting a bill of charges. You know, it's basically the oh, House yeah, of Representatives I, is acting like a prosecutor saying, okay, here is our charge against Trump. Now, you in the Senate, you determine whether you're going to convict him or not. And, I understand the process. Right. So if you understand the process, why are you opposed to impeaching him? I'm not opposed to impeaching them in the prognostic future. Just right now, we need to build more of a dialectual kind of a corpus delecti so we know the body of evidence, and I support the Senate fully. Okay. All right. Spencer, thank you. Dana in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Hey, Dana, what's up? Hi. I'm even more disheartened by your last caller's lack of information. Earlier, you had spoken with someone who was supporting doing censure with mm. the president. That's absolutely ludicrous. In order to have censure work, you have to have it mean something to the person. Right. And, and Trump is not Trump capable of feeling shame. does not care about the law. Right. And he doesn't care about his own reputation. I mean, you know, he likes to be he likes to be sucked up to and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think that censure would be would mean anything to him. He would just keep on going. Yeah. And the thing is, I mean, he's presented in court that he is above the law. So he doesn't think anyone has a right to tell him what is right, what is wrong. That's right. His lawyers and three weeks ago argued in a federal court that if Donald Trump shot somebody on Fifth Avenue, he could not be prosecuted and he could not even be investigated. Which is one of the key problems, even with the last caller. People don't understand what is constitutional and what is not. Correct. And a lot of people say we need civics back, and it's so very true, but we need it for adults, not just kids. Yes. 
Yes. And yeah, and particularly for those adults who attended elementary school and middle school and high school, I think it was in the mid-80s, basically, that the Reagan administration stopped, yeah. you know, the standards for schools and stopped a lot of federal funding for schools and civics went out the window. So anybody who went to school yeah. since the mid-80s probably doesn't really even understand our constitutional form of government. And, you know, well, that's a tragedy. And the sad thing is most Republicans don't even follow the Constitution anymore. That's Their correct. idea is to stay in power by all means necessary. And they were always the ones with a po- pocket constitution. Yeah, and they were always yeah. the ones with the pocket constitution that they'd pull out and wave around like Ron Paul always used to do. Amazing. Dana, thank you. Thank you. Spot on. Very well said. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today is Mortal Republic, How Rome Fell into Tyranny by Edward J. Watts. This is from the first chapter, which I think is really more like an introduction. This book explains why Rome, still one of the longest-lived republics in world history, traded the liberty of political autonomy for the security of autocracy. It's written at a moment when modern readers need to be particularly aware of both the nature of the republics and the consequences of their failure. We live in a time of political crisis when the structures of republics as diverse as the United States, Venezuela, France, and Turkey are threatened. Many of these republics are the constitutional descendants of Rome, and as such, they have inherited both the tremendous structural strengths that allowed the Roman Republic to thrive for so long, and some of the same structural weaknesses that led eventually to its demise. This is particularly true of the United States, a nation whose basic constitutional structure was deliberately patterned on the idealized view of the Roman Republic presented by the 2nd century B.C. author Polybius. This conscious borrowing from Rome's model makes it vital for all of us to understand how Rome's Republic worked, what it achieved, and why, after nearly five centuries, its citizens ultimately turned away from it and toward the autocracy of Augustus. No Republic is eternal. It lives only as long as its citizens want it. And in both the 21st century A.D. and the 1st century B.C., When a republic fails to work as intended, its citizens are capable of choosing the stability of autocratic rule over the chaos of a broken republic. When freedom leads to disorder and autocracy promises a functional and responsive government, even citizens of an established republic can become willing to set aside long-standing principled objections to the rule of one man and embrace its practical benefits. Rome offers a lesson about how citizens and leaders of a republic might avoid forcing their fellow citizens to make such a tortured choice. Rome shows that the basic, most important function of a republic is to create a political space that is governed by laws, fosters compromise, shares government responsibility among a group of representatives, and rewards good stewardship. Politics in such a republic should not be a zero-sum game. The politician who wins a political struggle may be honored, but one who loses should not be punished. The Roman Republic did not encourage its leaders to seek complete and total political victory. It was not designed to force one side to accept everything the other wanted. Instead, it offered tools that, like the American filibuster, served to keep the process of political negotiation going until a mutually agreeable compromise was found. This process worked very well in Rome for centuries, but it worked only because most Roman politicians accepted the laws and norms of the Roman Republic. They committed to working out their disputes in the political arena that the Republic established rather than through violence in the streets. Republican Rome succeeded in this more than perhaps any other state before or since. If the early and middle centuries of Rome's Republic show how effective this system can be, the last century of the Roman Republic reveals the tremendous dangers that result when political leaders cynically misuse these consensus-building mechanisms to obstruct a Republic's functions. Like politicians in modern republics, Romans could use vetoes to block votes on laws. They could claim the presence of unfavorable religious conditions to annul votes they disliked. And they could deploy other parliamentary tools to slow down or shut down the political process if it seemed to be moving too quickly toward an outcome that they disliked. When used as intended, these tools help promote negotiations and political compromises by preventing majorities from imposing solutions on minorities. But in Rome, as in our world, politicians could also employ such devices to prevent the Republic from doing what its citizens needed. The widespread misuse of these tools offered the first signs of sickness in Rome's Republic. 
Much more serious threats to republics appear when arguments between politicians spill out from the controlled environments of representative assemblies and degenerate into violent con confrontations between ordinary people in the streets. Romans had avoided political violence for three centuries before a series of political murders rocked the Republic in the 130s and 120s BC. Once mob violence infected Roman politics, however, the institutions of the Republic quickly lost their ability to control the contexts and content of political disputes. Within a generation of the first political assassination in Rome, politicians had begun to arm their supporters and use the threat of violence to influence the votes of assemblies and the elections of magistrates. Within two generations, Rome fell into civil war, and two generations later, Augustus ruled as Roman emperor. When the Republic lost the ability to regulate the rewards given to political victors and the punishments inflicted on the losers of political conflicts, Roman politics became a zero-sum game in which the winner reaped massive rewards and the losers often paid with their lives. Above all else, the Roman Republic teaches the citizens of its modern descendants the incredible dangers that come along with condoning political obstruction and courting political violence. Roman history could not more clearly show that when citizens look away as their leaders engage in these corrosive behaviors, the Republic is in mortal danger. Unpunished political dysfunction prevents consensus and encourages violence. In Rome, it eventually led Romans to trade the Republic for the security of an autocracy. This is how a republic dies, mortal republic. It's the new year, and you know with every passing year, more wrinkles, right? But that's all changed thanks to magic in a bottle, Plexiderm, rapid reduction serum. It's like you turned back the clock instead of ringing in another new year. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. All you have to do is apply this powerful serum to problem areas, and within 10 minutes, voila, new you. And the best part, no surgery or Botox involved. It's all natural. Ring in 2020 with confidence knowing Plexiderm is going to give you smooth, younger-looking skin in minutes. And the best part is it goes on clear so nobody even knows you're using it. Say bye-bye to bags and wrinkles and hello to the new you for the new year. Go to triplexiderm.com and use my code HARTMAN for 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning code HARTMAN. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code HARTMAN at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com, code HARTMAN. Sheila in Talent, Oregon. Hey, Sheila, what's on your mind today? Oh, good morning, and um, happy uh, holidays to all of you guys. Thank you. I Back just want you. to talk on the one, thank you, the one thing that this is really about, and that is the one, you know, the sanctity, the protection of our elections, what the country was founded on. Mm -hmm. And the Madison debates of July 20th, Colonel George Mason spoke specifically on impeachment for it. And the reason, the main reason, and this is why I think the Democrats went with this more than anything else, are these words, shall any man be above justice, with a capital J. Right. Above all, shall that man be above it who can commit the most extensive injustices, ellipsis. Electors was the danger of their being corrupted by the candidates. And this furnished a peculiar reason in favor of impeachments whilst in office. Another ellipsis, shall the man who has practiced corruption and by that means procured it, procured his appointment in the first instance, be suffered to escape punishment by repeating his guilt. If that doesn't speak to the exact thing that has happened here, he got away with it in 2016 and they could claim that oh, none of them, they didn't understand it. Well, once the Mueller papers were out, once the Mueller report was out, it was clear to everyone that a law had been violated in soliciting, and they did solicit, he did solicit, assistance from a foreign power to interfere in our government, yes. in our elections, which Clearly. is against the law. Yep. And he has done it again, openly, in an open mic to the public. To, I am just, I am aghast at the Republicans who can keep this up, can just just go around it, over it, under it, and never hit the bullseye. Yeah. And all I can say is, maybe we'll go down. Maybe things, 
won't go the way it should because um, right doesn't always happen. But this is what it's, a, it's the principle of protecting the elections. They are at the core of what happened in this country over 200 years ago when they formed this union. And I'm not 100% crazy about everything that happened. I have ancestors who suffered at the hands of the colonials. And it, but it still comes back, those same people, the descendants of the people who suffered, still put on a uniform and fight for the principles of what this country stands for. Yeah. Even though in the past they suffered, whether they were the descendants of slaves or the descendants of indigenous people or the descendants of the colonials who fought revolution and then a civil war. Yeah. I, and if I, they I, can't I, see it, they need to be out of office and we need the wave. We need what Frederick Douglass spoke about. We do not need the light. We need the fire. We need the whirlwind. Hmm. And that's it. Thomas Paine observed that the vote was mm -hmm. the beating heart of democracy and that his exact quote was, when a man is denied his vote, the nation is reduced to tyranny. And, and it has. Yeah. if the vote is the beating heart of democracy, if it's the most sacred thing, then A, you know, messing with an election is a crime and B, uh, privatizing that vote to private for-profit corporations is is a crime against democracy as well. Now, that's not being debated here in the impeachment, but I think it's something that needs to be, yeah, it, it's a point that needs to be restated over and over and over again. And that all goes back to 2002 and the Help America Vote Act that uh, George W. Bush championed that turned our elections over to these private companies. Sheila, thank you for the call. So for our Tom Hartman Insider video that's available over at TomHartman.com, I'm talking this week about Donald Trump just completely giving in to Erdogan of Turkey, the president of Turkey, the dictator of Turkey now, and this theory that Jared Kushner okayed the killing, at least the capture, perhaps the killing of Jamal Khashoggi to Mohammed bin Salman, and that Erdogan has the tape of it and that when he called up Donald Trump a couple weeks ago and said, I want you to pull out of Syria and give me those Kurds so I can kill them and take that land, that he did it because Erdogan threatened him. And then Erdogan comes to the United States a week or two later and gets a whole state dinner thing. Check it all out. It's over at TomHartman.com. I think you'll find it fascinating. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Colin in North Hollywood, California. Hey, Colin, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, great show. Thank you. So I've been having more and more encounters with a group. I was at the impeachment rally in L.A., mm -hmm. and I've heard you mention on the air the Bob Avakian cult. Yeah. And I've noticed this group, people actually call into your show and mention their tagline, refuse fascism, Trump-Pence must go. But I did some research and found it was, yeah, it's basically Bob's cult. So I wanted... Yeah, they call, um, it used to be called the Revolutionary Communist Party, but they've operated under a whole bunch of other names as well. Okay. So I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about your concerns. Well, that's, and, and that's, about, all I, cult. that's about all I know about them. Back in 2000, late 2002, early 2003, before the war in Iraq had started, but when Bush and Cheney were leading up to it, I was traveling around the country speaking on that issue. And one of these groups invited me to speak at a rally that they had put together at a large church in New York City. And I showed up along with a couple of other progressives. And, you know, we gave our speeches and, the, and we were the draw names, right? We were the ones who, I mean, this church was so full that, I mean, the, the, the upper, what do you call it? The balcony was filled with people. The church was filled. I mean, there's probably, a, you know, a couple thousand people in that church and uh, standing room only. And when we left, there were three of us who, who gave speeches. And I think Mark Crispin Miller was one of them as well. Uh, in fact, I'm quite sure it was he and me, and, and I don't recall the third person. And, you know, when we left, the Avakian cult people got up and just basically, you know, started pitching their stuff. And, and they were going through the crowd taking names uh, and addresses and, and stuff, you know, email addresses and whatnot. And that was when we realized that there was something going on here that had nothing to do with stopping the war. It had to do with building right. a, a political movement. And as I looked into it, I found that at that time they were operating under the name World Can't Wait, and huh. uh, which is like the world can't wait to end the war or stop the war or whatever. 
and or at least this little cell of them were operating on that name. So beyond that, I don't know a lot about them. I mean, you, you know, you could Google, as I did, the group and, you know, what they're up to. But they have a long history of basically infiltrating and damaging progressive movements. I, my, my understanding, and I don't have firsthand information on this, but I've heard this from callers and I've heard it, heard it from a friend of mine who lives in New York, is that their infiltration of several of the New York Occupy groups, remember Occupy Wall Street, the, yeah. that they basically got into and took over a bunch of those groups, and that led to the Occupy movement in New York just disintegrating. Wow. So well, that's funny because they were using that Occupy technique last night to try and shut down the impeachment rally. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the technique where you, you don't really have one speaker, but everyone echoes the speaker. Right. Right. And um, yeah, so it, it's really weird how they're disrupting genuine progress. And, you know, they have these great talking points. They have tons of flyers and literature. So you see everyone spreading their slogan because they don't know, you know, what it really means. Right. And it's bizarre. You try and really in, you try and engage them with anything positive and they will shut you down. They hate the Democrats. Um, so beware when you hear people calling in with this refuse fascism trope, because I don't know what they're trying to accomplish other than just. Well, they're, you know, you know, it's sort of like the Moonies. I mean, they're raising money. They're building. They're building their cult. I mean, it's it's. <laughs> I don't know how to say it beyond that. And it's unfortunate that they're doing it on our side. I mean, you've got. There's another one that's more over on the right. The guy's got an unusual name, and in fact, I'm not even sure he's still alive. But there's still a cult around him, and they tend to infiltrate libertarian and, and Republican movements. And it's making me crazy that. That his name has escaped me. It sounds like your experiences in the SDS or even some of mine with Antifa, you know, there's some great work being done, but there's always one or two people around who's just edging for, you know. Well, with, this, with SDS, we were, uh, you know, the, the major problem we had was infiltration by the local police, you know, in, in, uh-huh. in East Lansing anyway. This, this, the state police and, and the East Lansing city police had infiltrated SDS, and the state police guy who was inside SDS was the guy who was most frequently calling for violence. Well, that was not good. Colin, thanks for the call. On the science revolution this week is the real science of Santa Claus. Would you believe it if I told you that Santa was on a psychedelic high? Plus, Ron Jackson is here about the carbon project you should know about. Behold the Trump crime family's disrespect of life and humanity in geeky science. And don't miss the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly, plus the fact of the week, letting us know about the end of fish. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Uh, Rudy in Atlanta. Hey, Rudy, what's on your mind today? I have a question, but I want to make this statement first. I served in the military. My brother retired in the military. My dad my dad served and my father-in-law served. And most of all, I just, I sent my daughter to the Air Force. She's been in three years now. Mm-hmm. So I'm just asking, what's the deal with the white man in this country? Now, I listen to this program and I just listen. And they say, oh, I'm an independent or whatever they claim to be. And with all the evidence that's been provided, they come up with some lame excuse. Now, if there was someone other than a white man that had done this, yeah, I mean, Tom, this, you know. It's called the Obama test, an- Rudy. If Obama had done it, would he have been impeached? And, I mean, no, they wanted um, to impeach Obama for wearing a tan suit. They spent a whole week being outraged that he put his feet up on his desk. Uh, I mean, I'm not making this stuff up, right? He saluted the Marine as he was getting into the helicopter one, whatever they call that. He saluted him with a coffee cup in his hand. I mean, you know, there's just not even an obligation to salute him. But but uh, these were the things that Republicans were all bent out of shape with regard to Obama over. And they seriously talked about impeaching him for some of them. Can you imagine if Obama had tried to conspire with China to get himself elected? Um, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to understand, man, because. I sent my only daughter to the Air Force, man, to, to fight for our freedoms. And it puts a knot in my throat, man. You, you don't know how many times I actually cried going down this road because I'm a truck driver. And, you know, it's, I don't understand. I do not yeah. understand what's going on in this country. In my opinion, Rudy, what's happening is that we are being torn apart for the purpose of basically tearing apart 
the middle class, for extracting wealth from the middle class and giving it to the top one-tenth of one percent. And they've been doing this, this campaign for almost 40 years now. The Supreme Court legalized it in the 70s. Reagan came into power and reached out. He reached out to Christian evangelicals. He reached out to white racists. In fact, the first speech he gave, Ronald Reagan, in 1980, when he was officially nominated by his party for the presidency, the first speech he gave was in Philadelphia, Mississippi, where three civil rights workers, Schwerner, Goodman, and Cheney, were murdered. And he gave a speech there to a rousing crowd, all-white crowd, and the theme of his speech was states' rights. So what have become the pillars of the Republican Party, which is working primarily for the economic interest of a very small number of people, but they have to bring along, you know, they got to get voted into office, so they got to bring along people. And the pillars of the Republican Party now are fundamentalist Christianity with an end times ideology that says global warming or whatever it may be is all just fine with us. Thank you very much. Combined with just naked racism, you know, like Trump going after Medicaid funding for Puerto Rico, you know, for example, among other things. And I don't know if you could call the gun nut stuff a subset of that and appeal to gun owners or to the manliness of white men, I guess, would be the clear way of saying it. And, and you know, they just pick up these groups, you know, that they kind of throw together and, and create a governing coalition. And meanwhile, the Democrats, you know, if I could just finish this thought, Rudy, and then I'll give you all, all the time you want. I've got a piece up on Salon.com right now about how America fell out of love with the Democratic Party in the 90s and the 2000s. And it was because Bill Clinton adopted basically Republican policies in 92 and, you know, cut welfare and, and rolled back a lot of the LBJ's Great Society and embraced so-called free trade. We've lost 70,000 factories since then. And so, you know, all of that is part of this kind of elitist agenda of the very, very wealthy in this country. And it's tearing us apart. Back to you, Rudy. I just... Between you and Joe Madison, you guys have really taught me how to listen and to pay attention to what someone is saying. Thank you. Yeah, Joe Madison is, I, in my opinion, the finest talk show host in the business right now. And if people yeah, don't know I, about Joe or if they don't listen to him, he's on uh, SiriusXM's Urban View channel in the early mornings. The 6 to 10 he does his yeah. show. Does that recall? Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and when you hear these guys, the first sentence come out their mouth, well, I'm an independent or... I mean, you just hear it, and I'm like, dude, this yeah. guy is a traitor. And I'm not, I, do not, I don't understand it, Tom. Yeah. Well, and, and when he betrays uh, the Kurds, you know, in Syria, I mean, you know, it's, that, that should have been a basis for impeachment. When it came out that he had paid off a couple of women that he had affairs with just before the election so that it didn't get into the election stories, that should have been an impeachment. I mean, that is impeachable. His, his lawyer's in prison for that, for paying off the porn star, you know, for Stormy Daniels and the Playboy Bunny, uh, what's her name, Kara uh, McDougal. I mean, this is what's going on. Rudy, I got to move along to other calls, but thank you very much for the call. Sam in Rockledge, Florida. Hey, Sam, what's up? How we doing, Tom? I like your show, and I appreciate your point of view. But? I like your show, and I appreciate your point of view. Okay. But? And I'm, I'm a bit of a Republican since Carter. Okay. I was a Democrat back then, and I saw the mess Carter did with the hostages and all that mm -hmm. nonsense. And then I lived through the Reagan years, growing up through the Reagan years. Now, you know, it was Reagan who cut a deal with the Iranian ayatollahs in June or July of 1980 to hold the hostages until after the election. So people like you would say, Jimmy Carter is weak and I'm not going to reelect him. And that's the basis of Iran-Contra. And the president okay. of Iran, Bonnie Sadr, has now testified to that. He, he wrote an article about it for the Christian Science Monitor. You can easily find it. Well, I was just a little kid at that point. Right, but you, but you left the Democratic Party because you got fooled by Reagan's treason. Yeah. So what's the, it says here that you disagree with me, you're a Republican. What, what is it that you disagree with me about? Oh, no, no. I, I just disagree with the Democratic Party because of the controversy I'm, from the Clinton years to the, through the Obama years. Like what? All the stuff that has happened. Like what? Oh, name God. One thing. I mean, I used to be. Well, just name one thing, Sam. To, I used to go to the driver's license place, get my license, just show my old license, and they say, oh, here you go. Mm -hmm. Now you have to bring a birth certificate. Right, and you know who you know who did that? That was not the Democrats. That was the Republicans. That's part of the Patriot Act that the Republicans were pushing back in the '90s, and they couldn't get any traction. And then after 9/11, they brought it out again, and Bush and Cheney got that thing passed. 
That's Republicans mm. who did that to you, Sam, not Democrats. Uh, just through so, the media, I thought it was the Democrats. No, it wasn't. So, so tell me again what you disagree with me about or what you disagree with the Democrats about. Do you no, disagree with the I, Democrats fighting to expand Social Security and Medicare? Do you disagree with I, the Democrats fighting to expand Medicaid? Do you disagree with the Democrats wanting to return to long-term unemployment benefits? You know, the Republicans I cut think, them down to six months. Do you disagree with the Democrats trying to get free college for everybody? What do you disagree with the Democrats about? I just, I just feel the Democrats are trying to push for a more of a socialist party. Well, what does that mean? Party. More of a, I just mentioned all the things the Democrats are accused of being socialist over. You know, the, the, the Democrats want us to have free college in this country, like every country in yeah. Europe has. And that, you know, you could say that that's kind of socialist. And the Democrats want everybody yeah. in the United States to have free health care, like every country in Europe does, as well as, you know, Canada and Mexico and Costa Rica. And I mean, you know, pick your country, right? So you're opposed to that. Yeah. You, you think that college yeah. should be expensive and health care should be hard to get. Is that right? No, no, it's the way the way it is now. Because I I tried going to college and. Uh, so you like it the work, way it is now? It. No, no. Okay, then why don't. why why don't you become a Democrat, Sam? <laughs> I just don't want to be a Democrat. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I I think that you really need to take a look at what the real issues are, Sam. I got to move along, but thank you very much for the call. It's good to hear from you will live to debate another day but next time before you call do a little homework and if you want to take on the democratic party or any of the positions of people within it and keep in mind there's a lot of diversity in the democratic party about half of that party is you know very progressive like i am and about half of that party isn't so you know there's big tent there if you want <laughs> we'll be back you're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Back with more of your calls. We're talking impeachment today, right after this. If you couldn't sleep because of an uncomfortable mattress, you'd buy a new one, right? So why do you keep sitting, sitting in that same uncomfortable office chair day after day? It's time for you to give yourself or a loved one a gift of comfort and productivity by upgrading to an X-Chair. With their patented dynamic variable lumbar support, they call it DVL, you'll, ex you'll appreciate the X-Chair's difference the very first time you sit down in one. Make an investment with a guaranteed return this year. Improve your comfort and your productivity with the world's finest office chair, the X-Chair. Your body and your bottom line will thank you, no pun intended. X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off. Go to X-Chair tom.com right now that's the letter x chair t-h-o-m.com or call 1-844-4x-chair x chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 dollars a month go to xchairtom.com now and use the code x wheels and get free x wheel blade casters that's xchairtom.com xchairthom.com Philip in Portland, listening on X-Ray FM. Hey, Philip, what's up? I uh, appreciate your show. Thank you. Happy holidays. And um, back at you, Philip. Listen to you every day. Thank listen you, sir. So, so what'd you call about? And I called to, like, put something out there to say that I also feel what your, uh, before the other caller, Rudy's pain, mm -hmm. and to say, I got a lump in my throat, and a lot of people do. And I would just like to put this little metaphor to you. You ready? Sure. So it's like we're in this vehicle together, like the country, and we clearly have somebody who's like either inebriated or drunk at the wheel, and we're looking at each other, you know, in the same in the back seat, going what? <laughs> we're we're no, not even that. Like we're we're next to the guy, and uh. we look at each other, and we say, as a Republican or Democrat, liberal, progressive, and. We're looking at Republicans and being like, hey, this guy shouldn't be driving. And then the other guy's like, no, he's totally fine. And then we're okay with him running over the poor black people, immigrants, while he's got, I'm losing my thought, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I got but, um, it. I got it, Philip. I think, I think you laid it out and quite well. And, and your metaphor works for me. And I do feel like, you know, I'm in a car being driven by a guy who's inebriated. And it's a scary thing. And, and all we want to say to each other is, like, can we slow down? Can we get a stop light? Or can, 
Can right. we even get pulled over? Right. And can that cop walk up and be Nancy Pelosi and say, hey, you're driving too fast, and also you ran over a bunch of immigrants on the way. Yeah, and the driver is saying, uh, you know, no, I'm not going to recognize those. No, those, no, and, those and, and you're the one that's driving crazy. Yeah, and, and no, like, I got it. I got it. Philip, I, I need to move along, but thank you. You're a great metaphor. Cat in Independence, Oregon. Hey, Cat, what's up? Hi, Tom. Hey. I want to wish Rudy and everybody else a happy holidays. And mm-hmm. as a veteran, um, a mother of a military family, I totally relate to his situation. Mm-hmm. Now I have a question. Okay. I was listening to Stephanie Miller yesterday, and she said, which I thought she said, that now that Trump will be impeached, that he cannot pardon anyone. And I kind of thought you said, no, that's not true. So can you clarify that? And I've I've got to run, so I'm going to take it off off the air. Sure. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Kat. Bye. Uh, Yeah, you're welcome. The impeachment clause says... This is one of the powers of the president. It says he shall have the power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. And so this has never actually gone through the courts. So we don't know if what that means is that he cannot pardon people when he's being impeached or if that means he can't pardon people after he's been impeached, it almost seems like they wouldn't need to say it if, if that was it, because after he's been impeached, well, after he's been impeached and removed from office, but you know, it doesn't say and removal from office. So and nobody's really certain. So, you know, if he tries to pardon somebody right now, like Paul Manafort, we may find out, it may get adjudicated by the Supreme Court. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Treason and Betrayal, The Rise and Fall of Individual One by Kenneth Ford McCallion. This is from the prologue. It was a gray, overcast day in Washington on January 20th, 2017, the day that Donald J. Trump was sworn in as 45th president of the United States. The weather matched the mood of the majority of Americans who had voted for Hillary Clinton, but whose candidate was denied the election as a result of an anachronistic electoral college system a lackluster Clinton campaign that had ignored key battleground states such as Michigan and Wisconsin, and of course substantial help from the Russians. But the most significant assault on American democracy did not result from the illegal hacking and cyber attacks by Russian agents on our electoral system and social media. Rather, it came from Donald Trump's full-scale assault on American ideals and values, which had long been this country's most powerful weapon in its arsenal of democracy. In his grim inauguration speech, Trump basically announced the end of American exceptionalism, the hallowed concept and conviction that the United States has a special mission and place in history. Instead of extolling the virtues of our democracy and calling upon its citizens to raise the torch of liberty in every corner of this country and around the world, Trump took the cynical view that the United States was no better or worse than Russia or any other authoritarian country, and that all our government should be doing is to put America first by concentrating on building our country's economic wealth over all other considerations, and by not worrying about other concerns such as human rights or even democratic rights and freedoms around the world. Trump's denouncement of America's commitment to liberty and justice for all was a frontal attack on the guiding principles forming the bedrock of our democracy and America's faith in itself and in its transcendent mission. The Declaration of Independence had been a clarion call that resonated not only on this continent, but around the world, declaring that the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was the cherished goal of all Americans and freedom-loving people the world over. Now, Trump was seeking to extinguish that fire by declaring that America was no longer the beacon of liberty and that every country, especially Russia, should be permitted to do whatever they wanted in their own country and its own sphere of influence. And that if they dismembered neighboring countries or slaughtered their own people who were fighting for greater civil and human rights, that this was of no importance to the United States. In other words, Trump was articulating precisely what Putin and others in the Kremlin wanted to hear, which is that Trump would give them the green light to rebuild the Russian Empire without fear of opposition or retaliation by the U.S. In doing so, Trump was demonstrating that he was a traitor to the traditional American democratic ideals. The enduring concept of American exceptionalism dates back to French writer Alexis de Tocqueville's reflections on America in his 1835 work, Democracy in America, where he concluded, quote, 
The position of the Americas is therefore quite exceptional, and it may be believed that no democratic people will ever be placed in a similar one." End quote. Abraham Lincoln echoed this theme of American uniqueness when he noted in his Gettysburg Address in 1863 that one of the things that sets us apart from all of the countries in history is the sacred duty of the United States to ensure that the government of the people, of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from this earth. Since the end of the Civil War and up until January 20th, 2017, the idea of American exceptionalism has infused the rhetoric of virtually every modern president and political leader. In April 1917, near the end of the First World War, President Woodrow Wilson exhorted Americans to fulfill the country's destiny to make the world safe for democracy. In his State of the Union address in January 1941, when the future of liberal democracies in a world war against fascism hung in the balance, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt sent a message to its besieged Democratic allies around the world, reassuring them that, quote, we Americans are vitally concerned in your defense of freedom. We are putting forth our energies, our resources, and our organizing powers to give you the strength to regain and maintain a free world. This is our purpose and our pledge, end quote. Fifty-eight years ago, in his inaugural speech on 19, in January 1961, President John F. Kennedy reminded Americans that it was our country's fun fundamental duty to protect human rights at home and around the world. He pledged that Americans would bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure that survival and the success of liberty. Ronald Reagan inspired us with his soaring rhetoric about America being a shining city on the hill, a beacon for freedom, hope, and liberty that was and always will be the model and example for all the world. President Obama, in April 2009, publicly acknowledged America's, quote, extraordinary role in leading the world toward peace and prosperity, end quote, while cautioning that such a lofty goal could only be achieved through effective partnerships with other countries. He also often reminded us that America is, at its core, a good and caring nation that must work tirelessly in the cause of democracy and human rights all around the world. With Trump, this powerful concept of American exceptionalism, which has been enshrined in our nation's psyche for almost 200 years, was declared to be dead and buried, or so Donald Trump and his enablers would like us to believe. In the immortal words of Stephen Colbert, Trump, in his easily forgettable inaugural speech, basically compared America to a dumpster fire. America's longstanding mission to preserve and protect the causes of democracy, freedom, and human rights around the world had, according to Trump, virtually devastated the country. Treason and Betrayal is the book. We're talking impeachment here. Tony in Long Beach, California. Hey, Tony, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, I just wanted to respond to that brother that called earlier and said he just didn't understand and got a, a talked about his daughter being in the military. First of all, brother, I would tell you, get her out. Hmm. We have to admit as black people that this country has never been set up for us. And we gave four, four centuries of free labor and we still getting shot by the police. And I, I thought that analogy, the guy came up with earlier about the car running over people and the police stopping them. We know if, if a brother was driving, he could get shot dead right there in the seat. Yeah. Okay. So what black people and even a lot of white people, and you know, you, Tom, give me hope in white folks because I, you know, <laughs> I'm a 58-year-old black woman and all I've seen and been through, you know, to keep from hating folks, you know, you have to really stay clear. But basically what you... What all white people across the country has to understand what true white supremacy is. And it's going to always work in favor of a white person coming out smelling like a rose. And what liberals, progressives, whatever have to understand is your part also in allowing that to happen. Because it all happens because it's allowed. Yeah, I agree. Bottom line. You know what I mean? And everybody, black folks have to understand what has been done to us, and we don't need to allow it anymore. Progressive white people that are trying to understand what's going on and do something about it is just that. Do something about it. Yeah. Sitting back, like you said, in the car, you can stop the car. 
You can put him out of the driver's seat. Don't just keep sitting around everybody waiting on somebody else to do something. That's something black people got to stop doing and white people, too. Who it, it begins with you, just like what you said, you know, at the end of all of your shows. It starts with you. And until you and each one of us and all of us can look at ourselves and do what we're supposed to do, it's going to keep happening. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? I absolutely do. And to the issue of race, you know, white people need to start noticing and particularly older white people who grew up in an era when their largest amount of contact with black people was through the media that portrayed black people in really, really negative ways. Uh, always the bad mm-hmm. guys and always the fools. And that was mm-hmm. right through the through the 90s. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, older white people who have those stereotypes and they will pop up in your head and you need to just say there's another one and you know get rid of that and go back to we're all human beings here we need to work on this together we need to and obviously you know that kind of reflexive racial response is not unique to just old white people but you know all of us i think need to need to be constantly reaching uh, in inside ourselves, but empathetically into other people to try to experience their essential humanity, because mm-hmm. that's what we're all just people. But here. you know what, Tom? Yeah. We've had time to do that. People are not going to do that. What has to happen is there have to be consequences when you do the wrong behavior. Because let's face it, we all had the kumbaya moments and the saying and hell hands and all of that yeah. or whatever. It hasn't changed. Well, in it's a way, in, in a way, I mean, you know, yeah, the, the Obama presidency was kind of the peak of that. And, and, and I thought that was I was very reassured by that. But the response has been the Trump presidency. And I think a large part of what brought Trump to power was white racists, people yeah. who are not unconsciously racist or not even you know, consciously struggling with their own racism, but instead people who are fundamentally proud of being white racists, white supremacists, people, yeah. pe- people who will you know, tell you these stories of you know, how white people are the peak of the evolutionary pyramid or whatever kind of BS that they want to be peddling. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Susan Sarandon said back before the election she was going to vote for Jill Stein for the Green Party. And when she mm-hmm. was told, well, that's a vote for Trump, she said, well, maybe if Trump gets in, it'll wake America up and we'll see how bad things right. really are. And in right. some ways, I think Susan Sarandon's prophecy has come true. And one piece of that awakening, I believe, is Absolutely. is we're seeing all this racial tension just exploding into our streets with these white supremacist groups that are popping up all over the place right. and filling social media and everything and sometimes you got to hit bottom before you start coming back up again and i think that that we're seeing that in our country right now is and it's you know yes it's it's activating some of the white racists and that's a terrible thing and it's it's empowering them and so we're seeing more murders and other things being done by white racists but it's also i believe i hope waking up you know a whole broader spectrum of white people to the crisis of race in this country that the Mm -hmm. obama presidency almost caused a lot of white people to say oh well i guess racism is all over you know we elected a black president we don't have to worry anymore right and that's so not true because you rendered him powerless well very uh, very little yeah and and, a lot of black folks are concerned he couldn't and he now, couldn't. The Democratic Party didn't support him either. So that's my point. It's like white America is having a black experience. You're starting to see yeah. your media lies to you. Your le- leadership lies to you. Democrats and Republicans are two sides basically of the same coin. Okay. In some and, cases. Uh, you yes. know, and the bottom line, Trump can do what the hell he wants to do because he's a white man. Period. Yeah. yeah, I agree, Tony. Tony, I got to run. I'm sorry. We're hitting a break here. Uh, but thank you for the call. Hey, Tom Hartman here. Just wanted to give you a heads up that Sue, who works on our newsletter, has just been doing an extraordinary job. I, we have an absolutely free newsletter. You can subscribe to it over at TomHartman.com. And every day she puts together what we call Sue's Daily Stack. It's literally a link to every story I have referenced on the air in the program. And you know, she compiles these throughout the program and then gets the newsletter together and it goes out an hour or two after the show is off the air. And it's just absolutely extraordinary and something I think you'll find really useful. Uh, no charge for that. So we're trying to get the word out. There's so many ways to communicate these messages. So just check it out at TomHartman.com. You're listening to Tom Hartman.
Zoe in Louisville, Kentucky. Hey, Zoe, what's up? So yeah, the dogs and I have been talking it over. Okay. And and we've we've decided how do you, you know first the conversation went to how do you determine Trump's biggest lie. And, you know, suddenly my mind went to how do you catch a wave upon the sand or how do you hold a moonbeam in your hand? I right. Mean, it I, is a challenge. I told the, right? I told the nice young lady that answered the phone, I said, girl, if we went 24 hours a day for the next month, we wouldn't get to all of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, every single lie. But anyway, the dogs and I have discussed it, and we have decided that his largest lie is, and I quote, <clears throat> to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, it's his wedding in sickness and I in think health. That's his biggest. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because yeah. he's right? betrayed I that mean, lie three. He's betrayed that uh, oh three times now. That we know of. Well, he's only been married three times. I mean, he multiple times for each one of those right. marriages. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah. But every time he fooled around, he 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 made it yeah. another lie. You know. Yeah. So it's yeah. That's Ugh. a big one. I'll give you that. That's the biggest one that I could think of. Okay. So well done. Thank but you very much. Tomorrow's another day. Take care. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, so. Joy in uh, North Fork Valley, Colorado. Hey, Joy, what do you think is the biggest lie? Hi, Tom. Well, I think the first one is at the election saying that he won because he did not win. He lied, cheated, and stole his way with the help of Russia. So he's a Russian agent. And then the second is, as it's been said, taking the oath of office. Right. So the first, his first act as president is also a lie. Yeah. So they're all lies and they're all enormous, but that's just the first as he was declared that he would be president and the first as president. Good ones. Thank you very much, Joy. Great to hear from you. Marianne in Port Townsend, Washington. Hi. Well, talking about the Republicans in our Congress in particular, and their connection to Russia. Hmm. Uh, in particular, if you go back and you see some of the faces out in the uh, media and who's uh, covering and supporting Trump, if you look at the Appropriations Committee in 2018, when seven senators, well, six senators and one House rep, went to Russia and met with Putin and one of the oligarchs there on the 4th of July of right. all dates. Right. And Richard Shelby was the head of the committee. You have Ron Johnson, John Kennedy that was supporting the lie. Right. It's rather amazing to see that, and it's not being covered. And if uh, Schiff, uh, if they don't follow Nancy Pelosi's statement, all roads lead to Putin, we will have lost by impeaching him on the little charges that are so serious. Yeah, I'm with you. It's so funny that they attack Bernie for going in, for his honeymoon going to the Soviet Union, but they don't they don't have a word to say about a Republican congressman going to Russia for the 4th of July. Thank you, Marianne. Randall in uh, Minneapolis, you, we're listening at 9.50 a.m. You want to weigh in on that? Well, before John Kennedy was assassinated, I was the Donald Trump. I was the poor Donald Trump. I lied about everything. I I, I see this guy coming up in the in the, in the seventies and eighties, and and uh, if it wasn't for you and your your common sense views at looking at things, I would be a total wreck today. But I understand who Trump is and what he is and how he is, and, and it's just amazing to me. And the, the fact is, I like to keep things simple after it's all said and done. And his biggest lie is, trust me. There you go. Yeah. And he uses that phrase all the time. And I think that generally when he says, trust me, that, that, that's when he knows that he's telling a lie. Randall, great one. Yeah. Thank you very much for the call. Richard in Naples. Thank you, Tom, for this afternoon. I'm enjoying it so much. Yes, here's what I think now. There is a truth out there that parades as a lie, and it's Trump saying that he would love to be impeached and would love to have a trial in the Senate. Oh, interesting. The thing is, Bernie Sanders is, Tom, to both of your credit, almost, if not entirely, in tune with what you have been saying for the last half hour or so. I thank you so much. Yes, and I would add, so is Elizabeth Warren, and I'm not being a partisan here. I th either one of them, I think, would make a spectacular president. I, I support the two, primarily support the two progressive 
candidates for president, although whoever ends up with the nomination, I will, I will do everything I can to get elected. But, you know, point taken, Richard. And if I could say one more thing. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, the current thought may be that as far as Trump being impeached and being tried in the Senate is that if that happens, if he is tried in the Senate, he will be found not guilty or whatever you do in that kind of procedure. Right. Uh, not guilty. Say, is the, uh, is the, it's a verdict. It's like a court proceeding. It's guilty or not guilty. Yeah, yes. yeah exactly. So uh, he would use that and, and likely would get reelected. I'm not sure. So, I'm not sure he'd get reelected well, because I, he's going to claim either. exoneration and the maggot hat people are going to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're a shrinking percentage of the American electorate. Yep. And it's I think if his crimes are laid out for all to see and the trial in the Senate, of course, would be the trial of the century. I don't think he's going to get reelected. This is not like Bill Clinton, you know, getting a BJ in the in the White House. This is no, not. Isn't. Yeah, no, and, isn't and, you know, most Americans it? didn't think that was a crime. Uh, I think most Americans think this is actually a crime. Richard, thanks for the call. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.